Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello friends, I hope you are enjoying the second half of season three of the Finding Refuge podcast. I am very honored to share today's interview with you. I interviewed Omi Shade Bernie Scott, who I have been in community with for many, many years, and I loved our conversation and hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let me tell you a little bit about Omi Shade. Omi Shade Bernie Scott uses she, her pronouns and is a black Southern seventh generation native North Carolinian feminist, a mother and healer with decades of experience in nonprofit leadership, philanthropy, and social justice. She is a founding tribe member of Spirit House and previously served as a board member of The Beautiful Project, Village of Wisdom, and Working Films. Omi Shade is the creator of The Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, a multimedia project seeking to curate and share the stories and realities of Black women and femmes over 50. She is a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill, the proud mother of two sons, and resides in Durham. So sit back, get your tea, and listen to this amazing interview with Omi Shade. Omi Shade, it is so good to see you and be in space with you and connect with you. Um, So thank you for making time and space to be here with me today. You are so welcome. It's good to be back. I feel like we had a conversation a couple of years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, I feel like, or we did at some point in that first year of the pandemic, it feels so weird now like time just feels like it keeps folding in on itself and i'm like it's 2022 but it feels like it could be 2042 or it could be 2002 like just so many things have happened in the last couple of years so i'm glad to be back having a a conversation with you yeah we had um a conversation before i created this podcast for a summit that was healing and community and it was about grief and liberation and mm-hmm. that you were part of that. So I'll link to that in the show notes for people to go back and listen mm-hmm. to that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I agree time is, I don't know what it is. It's mm. doing an entire thing, which I think I've always known it, you know, but it feels different um, yeah. living through and with a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that resonates deeply. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to share some about, who you are, what you are up to these days, anything you want to share to open up the the space. Okay. I think it's important for folk to know that I really am from North Carolina. I think sometimes when people see me, they're just kind of like, mm, Brooklyn? I'm like, nope. They're like, mm, Oakland? I'm like, nope. 
Mm, I said, no, I'm really, really, really from North Carolina. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm also grateful that I can, you know, I've been afforded the opportunity to be able to trace our family back on my mom and my dad's side back several generations, which is a real challenge for black folk. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that my ancestors keep allowing me to find them feels like a really important part of my introduction um, of who I belong to. Yeah. So I am Mary and Willie George's daughter. I'm also Mary and Charlie's daughter. And where I'm from in North Carolina is both sweet and salt water because I'm from New Bern. So, we, you know, New Bern sits in between the Noose and the Trent River. And that's sweet water because sweet water is water you can drink. You know, it's fresh water. And then not even like 45 minutes from the beach, from Atlantic Beach. So that's salt water. And so I think of myself as um, a sweet water girl and a salt water girl. I'm an Aries. <laughs> I'm an Aries Taurus cusp. With a with a Leo moon and a Virgo mm -hmm. rising, um, and for about fifteen years, I thought I had a Leo rising, and I realized I had the timing wrong of my birth, and um, received a a new birth chart reading from Jessica Landayo, and she was like, "How did you ever think that you were a Leo rising?" I was like, "Have you seen me? Like this this whole hair situation, and, right? You know how I kind of show up." And she said, "That that's because you got a whole bunch of stuff like." mashing up against your Virgo rising, it makes you quirky, but you're Virgo rising. And I was like, oh, and then we talked about it. And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. I am a mom of two spectacularly beautiful black boys who aren't boys anymore. Che is 30. Wow. I don't know how that happened, Michelle. Like what in the world? Um, and Taj is 14. Mm. And they're beautiful and sweet and kind um, and compassionate, um, smart, and artistic. I like my kids a lot. I love them, but I also really like my kids. So that's an important part of who I am. I don't like to talk about what I do because I feel like white supremacy and capitalism is always pressing you to try to give your resume or your vitae in like 60 seconds which right. feels like feels exhausting and then then you're also being potentially measured by the receiver to say are you a legitimate person that i should give my undivided attention to or can i cast you off and be like oh it's nice to meet you and they move on so i have stopped telling people necessarily what I do in that way. I said, you know, I'm just trying to be free and I want everybody who's around me to be free. And so there are things that I do that help me be free. And there are things that I will always do in my community that will help other people be free. Not do it for them, but do it with them. Help mm -hmm. like navigate, identify, figure out, strategize how they want to be free and be like, all right, cool. Let's let's start working with you to figure out how you can be free fully. So I think that's good for now. And then we can we can keep we can keep peeling back the onion of who I am as we talk. Yeah, which we could never really get to the core <laughs> of the onion in an hour, right? Like that's a, it's lifetimes, you know, to understand. Truly, truly. Mm hmm.
who we are and, and, and articulate that in some way and express it. And we're evolving. So we are changing all the time. I find my answer to who I am shifts, although the core of who I am in the sense of the way you answered this question around who you belong to, that remains the same. It's like, mm-hmm. where am I from and who do I belong to? And mm-hmm. both um, in my bloodline and then like chosen family too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I appreciate you and I'm not surprised by it, but appreciate you naming, like, I don't really, I don't want to like go down my credentials or sort of list what I, what I do because there's a focus on doing mm-hmm. and then we're measured by that instead of a focus on being. And I did hear the, like, I want, I want to be free and I want people to be free. And, yeah. and, and so I do things aligned with that practice of how do we get free or the question inquiry of how do we get free mm-hmm. um, with one another and ourselves and with one another. And what I have witnessed, observed, experienced from afar is um, medicine and a body of work. I feel like connected with freedom, focused on, um, well, I don't even want to say focused on because it feels like it's multi-layered, but I know mm. that you have a presence around Black Girl's Guide to to mm-hmm. Menopause, mm-hmm. which is not, we were talking about a podcast earlier, not just just a podcast, right? But there's like an Oracle deck and <laughs> conversations and um, I think transformative processes around what it yeah. means to be in a body and to be changed, like to change, right? In these ways that so often I'm perimenopausal now, I'm 47. So often like people, no one told me right. what these things were. And so I know that it's like, it is the title black girl's guide to menopause, but it's like, (laughs) it feels like it's everything. It's like birth and death and transformation Mm -hmm. and how we come into this and how do we talk about this and what happens when we don't. So I would love to hear some about, Oh yeah. This body of medicine. It's Mm -hmm. nice. I would love to talk about that. And also just so you know, we got you, Michelle. <laughs> Good. I'm going to be called because I'm like, what is happening with these hot flashes? I feel like everybody starts with whatever um, the physical message they get from their body. That's their entry point. And then we start to peel back again, the onion of how you're changing and evolving. Your body's like, I got a message for you. Yeah. So, so, so but I started um, Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause in 2019. Um, really as a personal project, um, I had, was on a, a creative sabbatical from doing, you know, the social justice work that we've done in community for quite some time. And Che said to me, um, why don't you make it a creative sabbatical so you can do something that you enjoy just for you? It's not going to be something you're doing for your job or for a grant requirement. Like it's just for you. And I was like, okay. And I initially thought, I just want to have conversations with other Black women, you know, the Black women and femmes who are in my kind of generational Gen X footprint and also like older than me. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I, you know, I want to talk to you, like how you navigate all of this changing, you know, how you're navigating inside your body, how you navigating your relationships and work and identities and rage and grief and taking risk and joy all like talk to me talk to me and i i always assume that 
whatever I'm doing that at some point it could be like shared with other people, um, either as a testimony or a jumping off point for them to start their own thing. You know, somebody bearing witness to these conversations could go somewhere that I don't know where it's going to go, but I always have faith that it could go somewhere where it's needed. And so I wasn't necessarily thinking I was going to do a podcast. I was just going to have conversations and record it and then figure out, well, how do I want to share it? Do I want to share it one time or do I want to share it over time? And my producer, Mariah, um, was one of the couple of people I spoke to about, I want to do some storytelling. I want to listen. And, and she suggested that it, I do a podcast. And then as soon as we started doing the podcast interviews, we were like, this is not enough. This is not enough. We need to find other ways to hold stories for Black women and femmes. And then we expanded that out to be very clear about women identified and gender expansive people as well. It's like, who is holding the spaces for us to talk about how our bodies change over time? And like all of those liminal points of when you are changing, where it feels kind of confusing, exciting, scary, um, disappointing, confused, you know, all those things and give people the space to speak their truth, right? And to know that their truth is believed. And then also perhaps give them some tools, some navigational tools, you know, so they don't feel like they're alone because you don't have to be alone during the journey or the journeys, plural. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody deserves tools that they can like right size for themselves you know, because it's not one size fits all. So that's how we started. And where we have landed over the last three years is in a place I could not have like anticipated. Now, I, you, you and I both um, operate with a spiritual practice mm-hmm. or spiritual practices. And so I did take this to my ancestors and Orisha, you know, I practice African traditional religion. I'm initiated in the tradition. So I took it to my mat. That's what we, that's how we say it. It's interesting how the mat has become like a very clear presence, character, partner, co-conspirator in everything I do, whether it's the yoga mat or Mm -hmm. um, in Yoruba, we call the mat the Mm Aini. And you you always have your Aini. You you use your Aini for prayer. You use your Aini for meditation. You use your Aini for ritual. And when I was in my initiation year as a Yawo, I had a Yawo Aini that I took everywhere I went because I sat on the floor. I didn't sit in a chair or on a couch. I sat on the floor. So it's really interesting how mm-hmm. my chosen physical practice at this time in my life is more and more and more consistently yoga. Like I don't, I don't really care for a lot of other things anymore. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't, don't want to do that. I don't like that. Because I feel like yoga gives me the opportunity to use my own body as a place of interrogation, as a place of strength as a place of softness or tenderness, or, you know, I can push myself without like any other apparatus but my own body, which feels really, yeah. cool, feels really cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I took it to the a And so when it started to kind of grow beyond what I thought it was going to be just kind of a pet project for a year, I was like, whoa, 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 hold up, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's talking to other Black folk about menopause in the United States, specifically? Not not tucked into other work, not kind of in a bucket of other women of color, but like literally, I'm talking to you as a Black identified person in the United States. 
and there was just like nothing out there. It was like, it's vacuous. I was like, how is that possible? But we know how that's possible, mm-hmm. right? Because our whole existence in this country, our relationship with this country has all been predicated on our bodies and people wanting to identify who we are, what we are not, wanting to dictate our liberation, our ability to move or not. And, you know, it makes sense to me then, oh, well then this is another iteration of, hey, you with a black body, I am not going to talk to you about how your body changes as someone who has a uterus and ovaries. I'm gonna let you figure it out on your own and I'm also not gonna believe you. I'm gonna problematize and pathologize you as you're going through that change. And I'm just gonna basically reinforce all of the stereotypes and tropes we have about aging black women. Either you're just angry um, and emotional and not nice, you're mean, or you're mammified. And the only way that you extend love is not to yourself, but it's to other people, you know, to your children, your grandchildren, your community, your siblings, your church, to, to white Jesus, not just Jesus, mm-hmm. white, white Jesus. And I was like, well, what would happen if we didn't do that? Like, what would be possible for us if we could have these honest conversations about how we feel at home in our bodies as our bodies change? Because your body starts changing the moment you take your first breath. Right. And it's one of those things, again, where we have to wait till we get to the cusp of that place for the conversation to feel relevant or to resonate. And people say, well, I'm not menopausal, so I don't really need to listen to your podcast or come to an event or read anything you're publishing. It's like, okay. Right. You are changing, however. And so there might be something that you find beneficial to how you are experiencing change, whether you're 28, 38, 48, 58, 78, 98, you know, like there still might be something here for you, but we don't proselytize. (laughs) um, All are welcome. All are welcome on that dark side of the moon. So it's just, you know, join us when you're ready. We'll figure it out together. And that's what's been happening with all of the stories that have been offered with our team, which is like beautifully intergenerational. Oldest person on the team is 56, youngest person on the team, I think Taryn is 35. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us are grandmothers, some of us are moms, some of us are partners, some of us identify as genderqueer and non-binary. Like it's just, it's really who we wanna talk to that's a reflection of our team and how we keep stretching ourselves to figure out how we make more space for those stories. And we also wanna do it in a way that's accessible and like lovely. I like to curate a vibe, Michelle, you yeah, already know this. I know. <laughs> I do know. You know this. You know this. You know this. So I want it lovely too. I don't want someone to be like, oh, it was just whatever. I want someone to be like, oh my God, this was lovely. And I got to tell my story and I got to listen to stories. And it felt like people wanted me to be there and they wanted to love up on me um, and love up on me in a way that felt comfortable for me, not too much, not too little, you know? And so that's what I want to be able to continue to do. I feel like I'm being called um, to do at this stage of my life as I'm continuing to give myself grace, as I'm continuing to find more and more home inside of my own body that I've not always felt at home inside of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing part of the journey, Mm -hmm. right? And the the birthing process of this medicine. Mm -hmm. I'm just hesitating. I don't want to call it work. Um, of this medicine Mm -hmm. 
and the awareness that, it, you know, through the storytelling right away, you knew this isn't enough. There, there's more to this Yeah, and followed that thread and investigated it and birthed more, right. Related mm-hmm. to this medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know there, t- I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One is about storytelling because mm-hmm. I feel like that is, I've seen you share story multiple mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. and witness that and experience the story with you. Um, and one is about, I mean, I'm sort of thinking like, did you ever imagine this would be the story you would be bringing forth? So there are related questions like who, I'm really curious, where did you learn to tell stories or uh, support others in bringing forth their stories that kind of like, because I think it's a skill to be able to share story and also invite other people to center their story or uh-huh. recognize they even have a story. Mm. So I'm curious, like where, who, who taught you that if mm-hmm. it, or, I mean, it can be like someone specific or like ancestors, or it's just something you came mm. in with. I'm not assuming you didn't have the skill when you came into this mm-hmm. incarnation. I'm mm-hmm. just like curious who influenced it. And like, did you think this was this was part of the storytelling you would do? Mm. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I think I will start with my family. For folk who've spent time with people from Eastern North Carolina, they are storytellers and funny, like <laughs> so funny. Mm-hmm. And I, um, my mom's immediate family was really small, but my dad's immediate family was large. My dad was the oldest of six kids. And everybody had between four and six children. So I li- it's a huge family. I literally um, grew up with 16 first cousins, you know, and we were always together for big holidays. So Christmas or Thanksgiving or family reunions, funerals, weddings, you know, christenings, all these things. And my aunts and uncles were hilarious storytellers. And they would talk all over top of each other. And sometimes it sounded like they were arguing a little bit because they were so excited. Like their affect was just very like passionate and funny. And I love to listen to my aunts and uncles curse. Like they, the, the way that they would cuss was just like, I can't wait until I can cuss. Mm-hmm. Like my like my uncle Vanny, who was not my uncle by blood, but chosen family, the way he would cuss, I was like, if I could cuss like my uncle Vanny when I get older, I'm gonna be something else. So yeah. I just love to listen to our family stories. And there's certain stories that felt like were evergreen, that every time we were together as a family, somebody would bring it up. And sometimes people would request it. Uncle Shaq, tell this story. He said, Okay, yeah, because I done told y'all this story one time before. Yeah, but tell it again. So, you know, that kind of thing. And so my family is full of storytellers, just amazing, beautiful storytellers. Ironically, my mom um, used to participate in oratorical contest. There's a very 1950s Negro word. She did oratory. Yeah, (laughs) yep. And she was really good at it. She was really good at it. And so... I think it's ironic that, you know, I was born into a family of storytellers. My mother was a, a, you know, orator. And then when I was in college at UNC, I majored in speech communications. And initially I was, I didn't, I I thought I was going to be doing marketing, branding, some kind of comms type of work or whatever that we call comms now. Um, But I found my love inside of performance studies inside of the speech comm department, which is now comm studies, right? 
I felt absolutely in love with performance studies. I was like, what is this? And so, you know, if there was a class that was like an oral interpretation class of any particular type of literature, I'm signing up for this class. Mm -hmm. And I found my path inside of D. Soini Madison's oral interpretation of African-American lit. And she knocked my socks off. You know, we, we did oral interpretation of performance studies of Sula. You know, mm. we, did, we did Mama Day. Mm -hmm. We did Their Eyes Were Watching God. You know, there were, it, it was just all of these. Like, I also felt like Dr. Madison was like pressing stories into our flesh that would not make sense to us as 19, 20, 21 year olds. But like once we lived a little more life, um, we were like, oh, now I understand why Sula had sex with her best friend. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Now I now I understand Picola in the bluest eye. Ugh. You know, it's just all these things that you kind of understood intellectually, but the embodiment of that understanding would take time and experience. And those stories didn't leave. They don't leave you. Stories don't leave you. They stay and they get they can get reanimated. They can get repurposed. And so I feel like those stories that I was introduced to as a young woman when I was in college have consistently been reiterated and repurposed and reimagined and reanimated re as I've gotten older. And I just have a different appreciation for Celie saying, dear God, because I have definitely had several journal entries that were like, dear God, mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Dear God, I'm so excited. Dear God, I'm in love. Dear God, my heart is broken. Dear God, I don't want to be here anymore. And so in, being introduced to Celie through Alice's voice and then mm -hmm. being able to perform that just felt like a huge gift. So storytelling has always been like a part of that. But the interesting thing, Michelle, I would not have called myself a storyteller until I started Black Girls Guide, which is really interesting. We can come to mm -hmm. that. So when I started working in social justice, you know, as a trainer, we started, we learned about, you know, pedagogy, the oppressed. We learned about popular education models. And I was like, that resonated with me. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. so this is again, another access point, an entry point when you're working in marginalized communities to start with their story first. Don't start with the problem. Don't start with the issue. Don't start with any lofty advocacy policy ideas. Start with the story first and let them tell each other their stories. Let them respond to a visual. Let them respond to a movie or music or photography. Like give people something to push up against that resonates with them in their own story. It opens up the space for folk to then see each other differently or to see the commonalities and then say, okay, now what do y'all want to do? Like, what are the things that you want to address and how can we help you gather your tools? Cause we know you got tools. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have tools, how can we give you tools that are useful? How can we, how, how can we help you name your tools? Right. And so story again was present in that space. But again, I didn't think I thought of, you know, I'm a trainer, I'm a facilitator, right. I'm a moderator. I wasn't thinking this is storytelling. And so even after I did two one woman shows at BU Cafe, this feels mm -hmm. really bizarre for me to say this to you right now, that I still didn't think of myself as a storyteller. I thought of myself as a bit of an imposter because mm -hmm. I hang out with so many art artists and creatives and what I see them offering to our community and to the world from their altar feels more tangible than story. 
Mm. Um, it's visual, you know, whether it's a visual arts or multidisciplinary or if it's textiles or if it's music, like it's something that people can say, I listened to your song or I, I, I looked at your photograph or your documentary, but storytelling, I was like, I'm not a storyteller in a way that feels in alignment with me being able to claim my identity as a creative or an artist. And again, this experience over the last three, four years is like, you, it's okay for you to say that. It's okay for you to say you're a storyteller. It's okay for you to um, claim that identity and be happy and excited and open about that identity. So that's kind of been a journey um, that I've been on. And then the storytelling that has happened as a result of the Black Girls Guide has been off the chain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do call it medicine. I also call it an offering. I, I think of it as sacrament. You know, it's like mm-hmm. this is an offering from people's altars, my altar, to our community. And I think of story being a living thing. Like it lives inside of your body, it lives inside of your mouth. And so when I share my story or someone else shares their story with me, now it lives with me. Like it meets up with my story or it meets up with a place inside of me that hasn't actually experienced that. Mm-hmm. And it gives me an opportunity to like suspend thoughts that I had about a particular thing or individuals or to learn about a particular thing or individuals because of the story that was shared with me. And you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Or you know what, that really resonates with me and I didn't think about it that way until I listened to what? Your story. Right. And so it's been a real beautiful journey for me. I have been deeply, deeply, deeply impacted by all the stories that have been shared with us, whether it's on the podcast or in our, you know, we were doing in-person intergenerational storytelling gatherings, and then we took those online. It's just every time I feel like I'm awash with new energy, awash with emotion, awash with with gratitude. Um, I, I, I have cried so much over the last several years. I've laughed so hard that my body was hurting. I was like, this is, this is it. This is the thing, man. And you know, the, the social justice person in me knows that this is also a pathway to deep change, like Mm -hmm. being able to hold someone's story with, um, respect and gratitude and humility is certainly a pathway to change. You know, the story that's been told about us is that we're not human beings. Right. We don't experience pain. We don't deserve joy. We don't deserve to marry who we want to marry or live where we want to live or go to school where we want to go to school. And we didn't buy it. We, you know, some, to some degree we did. We're, you know, some of us are still unlearning a lot of really intense narratives that were force fed to us. It's not like we were gifted these with a small, delicate spoon. It was, it was more like a fire hose and that's traumatizing. And so being able to like pull back from that and unlearn that and realize that story is not true. Well, what's, what's my true story? And like leaning into that has been really awesome to watch as well. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you love it when I just sort of witnessing you talk about it and, 
share about your experience and the different emotions. I'm sort of riding the, I mean, you're telling me a story mm-hmm. now, right? Like I'm riding the mm-hmm. the waves of different emotions um, and feeling into that with you. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that you said for a couple of reasons for me that you shared about the process of like leaning into or, or claiming if that resonates this, this, um, title of storyteller, like that, that was a journey and a process because Mm -hmm. of your relationship with other creatives and artists and the tangibility of, of what they were creating Mm -hmm. versus story. Because the, I, when I asked the question about storytelling, I was thinking, I was at one of the performances at BU cafe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about that. And I have this, like, how do people tell story like that? You know, like how, and that's how I felt in, I felt in awe in that, that moment of like, how do people tell stories like this? I don't, what it, what is it? I don't, I don't know what this is. And the sort of imposter piece of that, because I have like three of my books that I've written right here. Listen, And it's so strange to call myself an author and a writer. Like it's not, I have a whole block around it or have had one around it. So it resonates where like I'm, I can touch three books that I've written here now. Right. Right. What is going on? What, what people what, have purchased and published. What do, you, and- what do you think that is? I feel like that's really interesting because you not only, like you were writing before that. I've read yeah. things, I have read things that you wrote before you wrote your three books. Yeah. Because we are, we are blessed to be in that type of community where people share material and share information. Yeah. So I'm really interested for you too. Like, well, like what's the, what's the block around that? He's like, what, what needs, to, what do we need to offer ourselves to mm-hmm. be able to say that, that identity that we know like is not just what somebody gifted us, but it's something we were like manifesting all along that right. we, we, we can sit down in and be comfortable with. Right. It's so deep. It's so deep. Um, and I find when I, with these narratives of like, I'm not a writer, even if I can, that's how it, it's like, it is part of my identity mm-hmm. and who I am. I'm sure it goes back to teacher telling me you can't write you like your grammar's not correct. You know that I know it goes back to elementary school where a system was saying you're mm-hmm. not writing in a way that appeases us or fits into mm-hmm. dominant culture or white supremacy. And so you can't do it. And so mm-hmm. it's still back there or sometimes it's like at the forefront of my mind right. as I'm like touching the book. Right. Um, and so it's interesting. It just resonated when you talked about that st- for yourself and like storytelling and imposter and mm. it's like what gets in the way, but no one's, I'm not, I'm not sort of benefiting from the narrative and no one else is right. No, and, no, that's the like, gag. That's the whole gag. Right. No one, no one benefits from that narrative. Right. Yeah. It's so deep. The stories that we tell ourselves about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who we are, who we're not, who we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, I loved listening to your response to this question about storytelling and also hearing how deep storytelling is in your lineage, like how it's just part of what happened, right? In your family, mm-hmm. um, in community. Um, it's part of you. It was like weaved into your your very being, it sounds absolutely. like. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. I um, have a question about Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause mm-hmm. and the time we're we were talking about time and you were talking about it folding in on itself, the time we're moving through right now, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. I don't know what it is, but we know like we've been living through a pandemic of many pandemics and a lot of death has happened, right? A lot of people have transitioned during this time Mm -hmm. in ways that I've never experienced in my body like this Um, and the sort of uncertainty and 
what's being revealed and unearthed and the cracking open that I think is happening and the intensity, like it feels like things are, I mean, literally heating up, Mm -hmm. um, but also energetically, I can feel that too. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause and the, the sort of timing of it. Not that you maybe you did know something like COVID was going to happen. I didn't know, but like, right. No, I didn't know. I can tell you right, right now, I had no idea. You know, the universe is so amazing. Yeah. And I I definitely believe in destiny. I believe in fate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the pandemic as well as the number of people around the world who will be moving into their menopausal journey. Like ironically was coming online at the same time. You know, there's a number where it's like, I don't know, 9 billion people will be menopausal by 2025. I think that's the number. I might be low, I might be lowballing it. Mm. I need to give you that number with accuracy. I, I've been, I usually can spot it out of my head, but for some reason, I know it's in the billions. Yeah. And it's, that's cr- a crazy idea that more than half of the world's population will be moving into menopause in the next few years, not several years, few years. Right. And we are still in this place where what happens inside of the bodies of people who have uteruses and ovaries is like fraught. You know, it's like all of the gender inequity, all of the homophobia, all of the racism, all of the patriarchy. It's just, it's just a, it's a, a Gordian knot. Like you have the audacity to be inside of a body that is identified as a woman, that is black, that is getting older, that is menopausal. Of course, of course, you know your value, your that value has just continues to diminish inside of what dominant culture would say. Right, and, and we, and, you know, our life hack is like we don't buy none of that. We don't right. buy it. Don't buy it. That's that's a a, a crock a bull. And so what we want to do is first give people an opportunity to tell their stories, but then we want people to understand the reason why you don't know about menopause is that you're not supposed to know. The same reason why you're not supposed to know about menstruation, same reason why you're not supposed to know about sex, Mm -hmm. the same reason why you're not supposed to know about contraception, the same reason why you're not supposed to know about your reproductive choices. All of these things you're not supposed to know. Right. Because systems, not one, systems, will say, I'll make that choice for you. I'll make that decision for you. I'll give you the information I feel like you need, right? And I don't believe anything you tell me. You are not the expert of the body that you reside inside of. Mm -hmm. You are not the expert. I'm the expert of your body. And I will tell you what you need and what you don't need and where you can go and where you can't go. And we were just like blowing it out the water. We are like, nope, not that one, not that either. And so this year we added something different to the mix of the stories, we um, decided to start some IG live conversations um, that we would later then share on our platform. One's called Millennial Mondays, because I felt like, you know, the next generation of folk coming behind mm-hmm. us, are I, I don't want them to be set up the same way that we were or our parents were, or our grandparents were, and they also are not here for it. They're just like, so let, right. let me ask you a question. Is your vagina, go- is my vagina gonna dry out? I'm like, um, Every person is different, but mm-hmm. is, is what is at the root of your question? Is at the root of your question, will you still experience sexual pleasure? Should you desire that as a menopausal person? Of course. Mm-hmm. There are ways to do that. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the question. You know, that was the question that was being right. asked. It wasn't just like, now is your vagina dry? It's like, no, you want to know if you're going to be able to have really good sex. Mm-hmm. Is that what you want to know? Oh, yeah, sure. And so we just start like digging down into the questions that millennials wanted to unpack with us. What do you want to know? Also, millennials who had actually experienced menopause themselves, which is another kind of invisibilized community, a community of people, you know, people who had medical menopause because of cancer or hysterectomy or fibroids or PCOS or people who were experiencing menopause because they were taking testosterone. So T had pushed them into menopause and their doctors didn't talk to them about it. Or they had had gender affirming surgery and had a hysterectomy so they could be more in alignment with their gender identity. And again, their care team didn't say, by the way, when we do this hysterectomy, you're going to go into medical induced menopause. Like these things are not communicated. It's like an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And so in that millennial conversation, we get to unpack all of those things. Um, And then we started having um, conversations we call what's up doc where we talk to different types of doctors right so OBGYNs, primary care physicians mental health professionals anthropologists sexologists you know it's like let's let's sociologists social workers let's dive into all of the ways that who we are and how our bodies are changing as we age or go through menopause is understood understood through different frameworks Right. Mm-hmm. So reproductive justice is a framework. We've talked about it. Um, gender equity is a framework. Black radical feminism is a framework. So we've just been talking about this through these frameworks so people can say again, oh, so this makes sense. Like why I didn't want to tell my story or I wanted to tell my story and folks didn't want to listen to me or my doctor didn't believe me. You know, we talk about health disparities and, and implicit bias and, you know, the white supremacy that happens inside of the medical industrial complex, all of those things Mm -hmm. impact your experience as a menopausal person or a person who's midlife and aging. Right. Um, And then the last one, we started having these conversations called Nacho Mama's Menopause (laughs) because it's not, you know, we're in a different generational time. We're in a different understanding of our relationships. You know, we are um, more connected and more divisive than we've been in a long time, I think. You know, it's really bizarre to be in this time where it feels like so much of how we want to identify ourselves is accepted and also like experiencing vitriol and violence at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's kind of, it's, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. And so with Nacho Mama's Menopause, we wanted to talk to people who could, you know, speak as kind of like cultural observers, you know, from different mm-hmm. perspectives, whether that's spiritual or storytellers or poets or artists or whatever it's like what does it mean to drive a narrative or hold a narrative um what does it mean to offer spiritual support um what does it mean to um do embodiment work you know so those things that we didn't have access to or weren't gifted and that was a really good experience for us this year to unpack this larger understanding of why this is such a complex time for a lot of people Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, of course, it was right on time, all of it, Mm, right? mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. That you just described. And I was curious about the sort of teachings offered through the the medicine or from your altar as Mm -hmm. an offering that were being Mm -hmm. gifted and the time that we're trying to live through, right? Yeah. Yeah. That very first zine that we created, Michelle, was born, um, the idea for it was born 
when we find out about George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I was being called to hold space at my altar for folk who were going to be participating in protests. Yeah. And so there were a number of us, I, I'm sure you were one of those people mm-hmm. who were like, I'm, I'm holding space at my shrines, I'm holding space at my altars, you know, putting, you know, energetic fields of protection and safety around people, yes. um, people who were helping people engage in civic unrest for the first time in their lives. And we're so excited and so passionate. Um, and for, you know, for people from the outside looking in, don't realize like how um, strategic and thoughtful and intentional folk are around engaging in civic unrest and protest, you know? And then we also know it can happen spontaneously. And so, you know, I, and I had that happen with Che. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we started these um, family Zoom calls every Sunday, um, I think late March in the, when the pandemic first started. And when Brooklyn started protesting after George Floyd's murder, I got a number of text messages from Che that were like photos and video. And I thought he was sending me like news Mm -hmm. captions or news stuff. Like he was resharing it. And then something said, he's, he's out there. He's, he's, he's in the street. And so I texted him and I said, are you in the street? He said, yes, I am. And I had a number of responses. Mm -hmm. My first response was as his mom. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then my second response is, you know what to ask him. Ask him the questions that you, you know what to ask. And I was like, who are you with? Um, do you all have a plan if y'all get separated? Do you have the number of an attorney if you get arrested? Because they were snatching mm-hmm. people, yeah. you know? What do you have? Do you have um, water in your bag? Like if you get tear gas, like th- just all these different things, you know, that we've been lucky to learn Mm-hmm. The art of protest, the science and the art of protest, and the deliberateness with which people choose to engage in civil disobedience to be arrested. We know what an action looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started rattling off all of these questions. And he said to me, he said, you know who my mama is, right? And I said, yes, I do. He said, so I know what to do. And I'm out here for me and I'm out here for my younger brothers. Mm. And I said, okay. And so then of course I texted my ex-husband. I texted Michael. I texted Che's dad, big Che. I said, Che's Mm -hmm. out. He's out there. And literally that Sunday we had a family call and Che's dad and his stepmom, they live in Northern California. And his, his younger brother, Ben was like, I want to go. I want to, I want to go to San Francisco. I want to go. And Che's, uh, we, call, we don't call Che's um, stepmother his stepmother. We call JB his other mother. Mm-hmm. So um, JB is like, I don't, I don't want him to go. I said, well, you know, JB, he's probably going to go. I said, Do you, can, I, can I offer some suggestions, some resource? Because he's going to go. Right. He was 19. Yeah. And so she said, please. And so we made an agreement that he would go with... Um, his older brother, Jameson, and we ran, we ran down the plan and I could see it in Big Che's eyes. I could see it in JB's eyes. They were like not feeling it. And Che and I, my Che was like, yeah, that's right. My little brothers are getting ready to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Do it. We need to do it for all of us. We need to do it for me, for Jameson, for Ben, for Taj. He's like, 
let's go. I was like, oh, shit. So, um, <laughs> so you know, holding space at our, our at our altars for that kind of, of moment in time, this timing, this timing thing, this timing thing. And something said, what are you going to offer as a balm? Mm-hmm. And so I slowly started working on the zine. I have never published a zine. I love zines. I love the subversiveness and the artistry of zines. I think they're funky and interesting and quirky. What are you going to offer? And so I connected with um, Trudy Bennett, um, who has become a lovely friend and mentor for me. And I said, I want to do a zine. And she said, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And then I reached out to Tima. Mm-hmm. And Tima was like, I'll do the collages for you. You know, you know how Tima's collages are yeah. like legendary. Yes. And I reached out to Claudia and Claudia was like, hun, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And I started on a path of trying to put this, this zine together, actually excavating healing words of um, inspiration, aspiration, uh, prayers from the podcast. And so Trudy just like put on like her oxygen mask and did a deep dive into the podcast episodes and would pop up and say, I found more quotes, you know? And then we would go through the quotes and be like, this one feels good, this one feels good. And she's like, how do you want to frame it? And because I'm such a nerd, I was like, we should frame it in a sci-fi kind of way. Like what would happen if other versions of myself in this menopausal multiverse that knew I existed in this particular universe decided to make contact with me. They wanted to breach a universal law, you know, and say, I'm go- we're going to contact her because we know that stuff has gone mm-hmm. awry in her universe and we want to help her make this offering. And so that's how the men- messages from the menopausal multiverse came online. And so we, we did that one in 2020 and in 2021 we did one on mothering Mm -hmm. and then this year we did one on folklore and like Mm -hmm. what would it look like if we could reclaim the folkloric tales of four different women women from kenya senegal russia mesoamerica and give them back their voice Mm -hmm. and be like i know you've heard of me and this is what people have said to you about me but let me tell you my story for myself um, and so we did that. And that's been a really cool experience. And I'm sure as an author yourself. <laughs> Thank you. You. Saw, you see what I did there? I, I really did. Thank you. You leaned in. Because I'm clever. Um, <laughs> then, are. you know, you, you get to a certain point where you're like, oh, this is this was a bad idea. I don't know why I said I was going to do this. Like, I definitely had tearful <laughs> moments yeah. each, with each iteration of the zine. But mm-hmm. that first year in particular, I called Trudy one time and I was like, can we, can we, can we meet either on Zoom or in person? She's like, sure. And I just mm-hmm. was bawling, crying. I was like, this was a bad idea. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know why I said I was going to do this. And she was like, Omi, no one knows that we're going to do this, but me and you. So like, can this just be for you? Like if if you don't share it out, does it make it less meaningful? Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know because I'm so used to having to provide tangible evidence of my efforts and have those tan that tangible evidence be legitimized by an external audience as a Gen Xer, as a Black person. That it's hard for me. It has been hard for me to do it just for me. Mm-hmm. Like I get to be the legitimizer. I get to be the audience. I get to be the recipient. 
no, why would I do that? And so she suggested I put it down for a little bit, put it down on your altar and leave it there, just chill out and then come back to it. And I did. And then when I was getting ready to upload it to issue for folk to read, I called Che crying, this is a bad idea. I don't know what I'm doing. What if I push it and it doesn't work? He was like, mom, dude, chill out. Like, first off, if you push the button and it doesn't upload correctly, we'll just do it again. And I was like, just easy as that, huh? Just, he's like, yes, actually. He's like, walk me through what the steps are. And I walked him through. He said, okay, did you do all the steps? Yes, I did. Push the button, mom. And I was freaking out. I was like, I can't do it. He's like, push the, push the damn button. And I pushed the button and it uploaded. I said, it uploaded. And he was like, you're more than one thing and you're not done. You're not finished. You still have so much more to do and so much more to learn. And I was like, thank you. So I, Che has become like a creative mentor for me because he's such a creative person and does his own curation and does his own art and everything. You trust his voice and mm-hmm. stretching his voice. And so I just, you know, I returned to him and I said, I have an idea. And he's like, oh, that's dope. And then when I meet up with my inner critic, when I meet up with um, that imposter syndrome and I call my eldest child and he goes, do, you know, he talks, he's like, bruh, that's not, that's not accurate. You know, I'm like, okay, okay, thank you. I love you. And he's like, I love you too, mama, calm down, okay? I was like, okay, thanks for listening to me, you know? And then Taj is just cheering on everything I do. He, yeah. thinks, every, he thinks everything I do is miraculous and sparkly. He's like, of course you are. Of course you're going to do that. And that's amazing. I'm like, Taj, I don't know what I'm doing. Of course you do. So, <laughs> I love your children. Oh my God. I'm just like, thank you, God, for giving this fiery ass Aries, these sweet boys to be like, listen, 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 lady. Calm down. Mm-hmm. You, you got this. And so that's been really cool too, around the timing of yeah. things. He's just like, let's offer this, let's offer this. And this again, I remember I was interviewed from interviewed by this thing called um, it's a periodical called Broken Pencil. And it's a mm-hmm. zine mm-hmm. magazine out of Canada. Yeah. And the young person who interviewed me, they were like, we'd like to talk to you about, you know, messages from the menopausal multiverse. And they literally thought that the zine was going to be breaking down menopause. And so as I walk them through the string theory, the zodiac, the elements, the voices, the prayers, the, the, the list poem that Alexis Pauline Gums and Eden Segbefia did, they were like they were crying by the time we finished talking they were like i don't know what i thought the zine was but it's not that i said the zine is simply wisdom from the menopausal multiverse and Mm -hmm. the different themes that will come from that my muse will offer me and we'll we'll tease it out so the first one was healing and and love and support and safety The second one was mothering and notions around mothering and understanding that mothering is not bound by gender, is not bound by you physically having carried or delivered a child or raised a child. It's not bound by life or death. Mothering is really intense. We mother ourselves, we mother our friends, you know, we mother and we nurture our creative things, you know, so we wanted to like put that in there, but it also was an offering to my mother's my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmothers. Um, and then this one 
was again around identity and someone else telling your story, you know, mm-hmm. and how it's like that vicious game of telephone. You know, if you are the first person in line versus the 10th person in line and how the story gets degraded and transformed by the time the 10th person repeats out loud the story, the first person's like, that's not what I said. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious about origin stories. And so what is Baba Yaga's origin story? Mm -hmm. What is Karaba the sorceress's origin story? or Bibi the Elder, or La Llorona? What's their origin story? And what if they got to tell their origin story? What if they took it back from the anonymous, faceless narrator, you know, who talks about them eating people or being Mm -hmm. mean and evil? You know, La Llorona's story resonates with me because her story is so full of grief. You know, it's a horror story. You know, she's this person who killed her own children and then she haunts people and she spirits other people's children away. But what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened to her? What kind of grief did she move with that was so big that caused her to harm herself and her children? Like, what if we can hear from her that story? You know, so we just offered that and worked with again black artists um, with, with Gemini to create mm-hmm. this this gorgeous artistry and. We work with Ariel Smith, who's a folklorist and is in graduate school to get her master's in folklore at UNC. And she helped me unearth these stories. And it just, you know, again, I feel like our muse, your spirit guide, your ancestors, the wisdom of the universe is like, this is what people need. And I know that every book you've written, Michelle, was needed. Mm. This is what we need. We need, to, we need to understand that. We need to read that. We need to sit with that. We need to hold it in our hands. And so every time a book has come out of your hands, out of your heart, it was needed. Mm. And I, I feel good about what we've been able to offer with the zine, even though it's confusing for some folks. They're like, you do a zine too? Like, well, yeah. what, is, what, what are you doing? I was like, what I'm being told to do? I'm being obedient. Right. You're being obedient. <laughs> People do get get confused when we don't fit into a box mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. part that mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i know we're at well i don't even know what time is so i'm not going to say we're at time and <laughs> it is time to pause mm-hmm. our community and co- conversation in this way and i want to just I mean, I could, I could like talk to you for another hour, listen, be engaged. <laughs> so I hope we can get together sometime and like just. I would like that very be much. In physical space with one I another. Would, I would like that very much. Y'all, I would you, like it too. I've got a cup of cocoa or a tea with your name on it, so let's just yeah. we can make that happen. Yeah, that would be let's lovely. Let's do that. And I am so appreciative of who you are and and the offerings you make from your altar, and appreciative of your ancestors and. Every, the healing you are you are and have created for us so i love before, you and appreciate i love you. you too i can i say something to your listeners before i we go yeah um so i think i shared this with you but maybe i haven't but you were the first black yoga instructor i ever experienced mm-hmm. you know um when i first kind of found my way to the mat in like the late 90s yeah um there were no Michelles available to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming to Chapel Hill to Carborough. Yeah, I remember. Specifically. And I was like, this feels 
different to be in a space that's being held and supported by a black woman. Mm. And, and then I said to the universe, I want to only do yoga led mm-hmm. by black identified women. Um, that's my preference. And that has been gifted to me. Like I've been able to do yeah. yoga with you and um, Faith Hunter mm-hmm. and Jessamine Stanley um, and uh, my friend Tiffany, who's in Atlanta. And I was just mm-hmm. like, like, literally you cracked the mold mm-hmm. and was like, this is possible. Omi, if you want to do yoga with other black women, you can totally do yoga with other black women. Mm-hmm. You can be in black spaces or POC spaces. And that didn't feel like a real thing before I did yoga with you and has been a per, like a pervasive thing that holds me and feels so important. So I wanted to say thank you mm. to you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I remember when you came to class, mm-hmm. but I didn't know I was the first black yoga teacher yep. you, this class you, you went yep. to. And mm-hmm. so that feels like such a gift to, mm-hmm. to hear what then came from that for mm-hmm. you and how many more spaces there are. So many yeah, more, right? so, so many more, so many beautiful, awesome, right? wildly diverse black spaces held by black it. women and femmes and genderqueer folk. It's, it's gorgeous, all kinds of sizes and shapes. Oh, it's just, it's so lush now. Mm-hmm. But you were on the Vanguard, Michelle Johnson, mm-hmm. and it's important for you on the Vanguard pre-IG. I, I need people to understand yeah. this. This pre you and um what my friend my friend Faith Bonneau were holding space for folk and doing yoga as a black bodied woman mm-hmm. before Instagram was a thing. Yeah, that's a big deal. Thank you. It is. Did, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for. Mm-hmm. As I said, who you are. We're gonna have tea or cocoa sometime in twenty twenty three. It's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a blessing you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together. Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.